Welcome to episode 594 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 594 of I Am Took with Coach Sean Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How are you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. How about you? We've had the best summer ever so far, haven't we? I knew we, we were going to get a weather report first. Well, up. John, has this not been the best summer ever so far? It has. We've had five days of, is it fifth? It's the fifth, yep. Five days of summer, and every day has been high 20s, 30 even. Mazeballs. It really is, John. The weather report is fantastic. You're loving it, aren't you? I'm loving it. Have you been in the pool? I've been in the pool every day, but the rest of the world, you know, they're shivering. You need to put your so mic up closer to your mouth. Yeah, well, that doesn't matter. We're getting our time and it's not no tilted up. Okay. Like his mother. Um, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, John. You're going to name them because I've got them here. Rob the Key Lockwood. Nice. And Thong Thiles, who did a mat, did... Iron Man and wearing a pair of thongs. I thought you said and as in and. No. But it's and. And. Yeah. Thong thighs. And Thomas the Barge Dairy. Nice. He barges through the field to win the race. John, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got discussion of the week. We've got an... Have we got an age group of the week? No, we haven't. We have got statistics. We have got statistics. There was going to be John history lesson, but he said, no, flag it. Uh, We've got an interview. We've got Rob Gray, who was the winner of Ultraman World Champs in Hawaii, I think it was the weekend before last. And then we've got a couple of questions and answers at the end. Guys, the big news this weekend was we had Ironman Western Australia. I got a text from Porno late Sunday afternoon saying, did you see about the shark? There's more drama than a week's worth of Coronation Street, Bevan, at <laughs> Ironman Western Australia this year. <laughs> do you watch Coronation? I do not watch no. Coronation mm-hmm. Street. Apparently there's a lot of drama on it. So, so yeah. what... So, so, what happened? We, uh, I'll tell you what happened. We just missed out on a Kiwi trifecta that I was discussing yeah. last week. So uh, just in terms of the results, zero swim times, and we'll go into that in a moment. But Terenzo took it out. He rode 4.15.58 and ran a 2.53.05 to win by six minutes or so, five and a half minutes over Dougal Allen, also from New Zealand. Uh, he rode a 4.12 and ran a 3.01. And third place, uh, Tim Van Berkel, Rode four thirteen and ran a three ten for a seven seven twenty seven and another five minutes back was Cam Brown. So just a, and the problem with Cam Brown is he got off he, he suffered at some stage on the bike and he got off the bike and it sounded like he sat down for a while and got a bit of a massage. Oh, then, did he? So he took time in transition. Did he? Yeah, so he, oh, he rode four thirty three okay. compared to everybody else's times are about four. So I wonder what time he got off from the bike in. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm just looking at Torsten's results yeah, on TriRating.com. Good luck with that. I'm still luck. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if Brownie had uh, you know hadn't sat in transition for quite a while, we would have uh, would have had a Kiwi trifecta, which would have been awesome. And then on the girls' side of things, Mel Halshite took it out um, for seven minutes victory over Carrie Lester. They rode you know there's only a minute difference between them on the bike. They rode 437, 438. I'll just repeat that 437 and 438. That is smoking fast, and the course is, I uh, looked at two files, and they both had 179k, so maybe a k-ish short, 
but that's not that much. That is a bitching fast time. So good work. And then um, Mel Halstein took it out with a three-hour ten marathon. Camilla Lindholm Borg from Sweden was in third place. Old Yvonne Van Verken was in fourth, and uh, Meredith Hill from Australia in fifth. They're saying three minutes here in transition. Um. Maybe, he, maybe he, I don't know. I just saw him well, post that he was saying. Bike to run transition was 3.05, yeah. so maybe. Anyway, but yes, the big drama of the day was the swim got cancelled because of shark sightings. Yeah, so, so there was a helicopter flying over the field mm. and they saw a two and a half metre shark mm. out on the field and they said, this is probably not a good idea to have swimmers out here right now. And so they did, there were swimmers in the water, so I'm not exactly sure at what stage this now, I read an article. That they were, they were, people were getting pulled out of the water and I think it was the Ironman swimmers were underway. Um, but anyway, the swim ended up being cancelled and from what I've heard, there was actually two sharks out there. Uh, so it's this is no. So was the swim in the way? Because the article I read said this one was still a while away. Oh, I'm not 100. I'm not going to. I they think were, there might be swimmers in the water. There were but people in the water yeah. that I saw. So I can't clarify one way or the other. But yeah. anyway, the swim got cancelled, and rightly so, because what the hell? You can't go swimming if there's a shark out there. Some people said, oh, the sharks will get scared off by you know 3,000 people uh, swimming towards them. But yeah, you be the you be the swimmer <laughs> who goes to the front and figures that out. Yeah. Bloody <laughs> hell! It's a shocking call. <laughs> So, uh, right call, very unfortunate call, but the right call was made. And also for the tail enders, and more drama on the day, the tail enders and the Ironman, because they had a 70.3 on as well, they had their bike ride um, cut short because there was um, some fires out there raging. So, oh man, when it rains, it, it pours. I think it got cut to 160 something, maybe 164, 168 k. So, tail enders didn't even get to ride 180. So, so it was a handicap start, was it? Or time trial? Where did they go about doing the start? Um, well, I think for the pros, I think, and again, we should, probably should have done our full research here, but that's the way we roll here. We yep. go partway research. Yep. Uh, I think the pros were 20-second gaps and, t- and time trial start. Uh, yeah, so fastest, I, I think, started last based off the, the seedings. And then age groupers, I think it was five-second intervals, and I'm not sure if they were starting a couple at a time. But, yeah, very much a, a rolling start. And so when they do the rolling start, that time gets taken off? Why do you ask me questions <laughs> like that? Like, I've just said I don't really know, <laughs> and then you start asking me questions. So, so just give me an answer, yes or no? Well, no, I... I believe what they did is they ran into transition and then uh, took off. So it's not like you're standing at the start time trial position on your bike and let, letting get off. I think. Yeah, but if you're 20th pro, you still are starting a few minutes behind. Mm. So surely it gets taken off on the other side. Of course it does. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you can say yes. Yeah, of course it does. And the problem with this is, is especially for the pro race, uh, you don't really know who's winning. Um, but I think that was, I'm pretty sure Terenzo crossed the line first. So, yeah. Well, he won by six minutes. Six minutes. So, Terenzo is on fire. He is. You, you always look at Terenzo in the past and you'd go, he goes into any 70.3 and I'm going to put a fair wager on him winning it. He's yep. one of the best 70.3 athletes in the world. Um, but normally you'd go, oh man, mm, I don't know, he's probably good for a top five, um, but that's about where it stops. But now he's really showing consistently that he's um, he's the real deal over the iron distance and you know, we'll see if he can get the monkey off his back in terms of um, winning Ironman New Zealand, which he has yet to do. Not that he's ever struggled to get points, but he's guaranteed for Kona now for next year so I wonder if that oh, changes his strategy moving into 2018 we'll just have to wait and see on that one 
I, I'm sure he'll be racing on me in New Zealand. When we talked last week, Harry's changing coach, and obviously that seems to be working, but I'm, I'm loving it. Come on, Trenzo. We need you in Kona. <laughs> we need you. Uh, Dougal Allen as well. Good to see him having a good result as well. Okay, uh, John, we also had Ironman Argentina. We did. I'm pretty sure. That, oh, just a little bit of love for um, some of the age groupers over there in in Western Australia as well. Um, again, just some smoking fast times. Um, so Ben O'Neill was the first, no, uh, Levi Howard was the first male and he rode a 4.41 and ran a 3.04 and Ben O'Neill was the second one. He rode 4.34 and 3.27 and third was Joshua Randall who again rode 4.27. I've got to say across the board it was very hot on the run but the run times are miserable but the bike times are fast. You know, There's only two guys here that went sub three hours. John. Bevan. You think Cam Brown got a message? Should that be allowed? You can do whatever you want in transition. Get a message? Yeah. Okay. Because it does seem like it's helping your performance. I think it's If you're sitting around for two or three minutes, well, I think yeah, it's Yeah, yeah, I get that. that. But if he didn't even run a 253. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Kimberly Morris. That is outside assistance, one could argue. Well, you're getting outside assistance the whole way when you're getting your drinks from the. Uh, yeah, the but you've got to get it from the official area, just saying, yeah. John. Uh, Kimberly. Controversy. M- first female finisher was Kimberly McKinlay, who also rode 450. Holy moly. That is spooky. Uh, Sophie Bubb was second, uh, and Saskia Geranius was third. Nice work. And then, boys? I've done the boys already. I wasn't even <laughs> was I, was I, was I listening. <laughs> okay, John, there's not much. Uh, this is it for pro racing for no, the... No, it's not. But listen, this is what you've got written down here. We haven't done Ironman Argentina yet. St- oh, wait a second. Didn't I just say Ironman Argentina? You did, but then I had to go back and I uh, went back to Ironman Western Australia. Oh, okay. We okay. are professionals. <laughs> We've only been going for 10 years, but we are professionals. What about Ironman Argentina, John? Sarah Pampiano, who is coming down to New Zealand. I'm not sure which races she's doing, but That's why I said, out. what about the guys okay yeah she won at nine hours 11 she swam 103 biked 452 and ran a 310 for a eight minute victory over tina dickers and then very close between third to fifth only a minute covering them well wow. god that'd be hard work magli tesserier was uh, third and 924 also in 1924 47 year old Didi griesbauer Leading out of the swim. 47. And uh, Asa Lundstrom was in fifth in 9.25. So bloody fantastic racing by the females. Um, and then on the guy's side, Matt Schrabot, uh, he took it out. First Ironman win, 8.19 in front of Joseph Major, who did 8.26, and Igor Amirali in 8.27. So Matt's times, he swam 48.58, he rode 4.30, and he ran a 2.55. So he's a former very good ITU athlete, not top, of top, top, but um, tended to do a little bit better in the, the non-drafting races. So first time I've really seen him you know, he's done. I think he's done a few Ironmans, but first time he's really stepped up, and I'm pretty sure this was the first time they've had Ironman Argentina. So uh, the race was about 400. I looked about 400 k's south of Buenos Aires. Uh, looked pretty nice on the pictures. It does look like an amazing place, Argentina. Have you been there? No, I would like to go yeah, there. Yeah, have to go there. Okay, so this time, John, it's looking like it's pretty much the end of the pro racing for the while. Basically, we've got a few non-challenging WTC races coming up, but uh, yeah, it's pretty much looking for 2018 now, aren't we? It is. I think really, um, Ironman New Zealand is the next sort of decent pro race because Monica's turned to a 70.3. Monica's 70.3. There are a couple of other races over in Australia. There's things like Israel, Israel Man, and things like that. But in terms of where we're actually going to see, you know, a good handful of pros racing in an Ironman 
distance race. Ironman New Zealand at the first weekend of March is uh, next on the list. And, and I imagine because Warnock has gone to a 70.3, we'll probably get a slightly stronger feel for Ironman New Zealand as well. You'd think so, but it's quite a hard task coming down to New Zealand now for overseas athletes because you always do, you know, weigh up a little bit who's racing and now you go, okay, I've got to contend with Cameron Brown's going to be there every year, Terenzo's going to be there every year, we've now got Mike Phillips who's shown, shown he can go sub at eight hours, Braden Curry and Dylan McNeese uh, and so you do well that's six guys who are, you know, solid Ironman athletes, really solid some of them. Uh, it's pretty hard to get a get a paycheck there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see the field. Mm. Um, and, but I like that. You know, in some ways, one of the downfalls of having the, the two line distances close to each other was we never got a total Kiwi race. Whereas, imagine all those boys lining up on the race line. Mm. You know, we've got a great Kiwi men's race happening. And just really? to see, you know, mano a mano. So, mm. pretty cool stuff. Okay, John. Oh, John's ITU update. Brownlee is going to the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, this good old uh, try247.com. Good old John Leverson, who always is right at the heartbeat of British Triathlon. Didn't, didn't really see the heartbeat this one coming. Of, you should put that on your website, John. <laughs> the heartbeat of British Triathlon. So just when we thought, you know, Johnny Brown, Alistair Brownlee might be, you know, really stepping up to Ironman this season. Maybe he still will because the Com Games are in April. So maybe he's using this as a bit of a springboard. Um, but yeah, so they've named their team. That's a five-person team. So whether or not he definitely makes the lineup, we'd have to wait and see. But by the look of the, the lineup, I would say he would. So the men's, they've got uh, the two Brownlee brothers and Tom Bishop. He finished second, uh, the first race of the year to Gomez in, I think it was Abu Dhabi. Uh was either Abu Dhabi or one of the early season races. And then uh, they've got a couple of guys who I've never heard of before. Probably should have because the Poms are pretty strong. Joe Townsend and Mark Conway. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so five-person team. Pretty sure you can only have three. And this is the England team. So when they go to Commonwealth Games, they race as England, Ireland, uh, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, etc. So some of the other athletes might be from the other nations. So, uh, yeah, Brownie's not done. And, and in this article, he's got Alistair has always said post Rio that his decision whether to go to target 2020 in Tokyo and his third Olympic gold medal will be made at the end of 2018, reviewing his experience over the first two seasons of transition, experiment for long racing. So, and, and I actually spoke to someone kind of off the cuff mm-hmm. a while ago and they said that it, one, they, they were speaking to him. Now, this is a total off cuff third conversation, but he, he's not really loving long course. We'll have to wait and see. I'll, I'll have a chat to him when I'm over there at the Commonwealth Games. Are you going to have a yarn to him, are you? Yeah. yeah. We take the mic. But I would say Commonwealth Games is sprint distance, and so we know that Brownlee is an absolute machine, but if he's not at his best, I think he'll be getting There's taken down yeah. because the Aussies are coming. They've got some serious firepower there, especially over sprint distance with Jake Burke whistle, uh, and also South Africa who have Richard Murray and uh, Schumann as well. So it's definitely not a done deal. Uh, should be a fantastic race. With, uh, with sprint distance, like Brownlee's 29, mm-hmm. does that start to affect your sprint? Well, I think across the board – over his whole career, he's been less dominant at sprint distance. You've seen him get beaten over that. Mm. Uh, and there's more guys that can just step it up. It's not just about the 5K run. It's just about the whole endurance factor. You know, you're only going for, say, 50 to 55 So minutes younger guys as, can get away with it. As opposed to yeah. two hours. They just don't – the young guys who don't have that really deep endurance um, just suffer a bit more. So, yes, he'll definitely be one of the favourites. But we saw at Super League and things like that, if he's not on his game, he is getting his ass whooped. So, uh he generally takes things pretty seriously, so I'd still pick him for a medal. 
Okay, my question is, John, who's going to... Your early predictions, because you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. You should ask if you can actually have some involvement in the race. Media. Surely you'll be able to get a media pass. <laughs> we just podcast, could I talk? Uh, I reckon... We, I, let's aim for a media pass. Let's try Someone it. must know something about the Commonwealth Games who listens to the show. John needs a media pass. Question, John. Who's going to win the teams? The teams race. Your early prediction. So we're talking Commonwealth Games. Commonwealth Games. And it's, it's not... You, you, Great Britain, which I think is laughable anyway. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a good question, actually, because if it was Great Britain, I'd say Great Britain. Yeah. But because it's country by country... Um, look, it's got to be. So you're going to have England. I don't know what the Welsh team like. I'd be surprised if they've got four uber athletes. So I'd be probably hedging towards Australia. Yeah, that was my prediction. Mm. Can we get a medal? So you got Australia, Canada, South Africa. South, South, South. I don't know what the South African girls are like, but they've got two stellar guys. So it should be a really good race, actually. Well, I've only watched one race, and it was the last time the Commonwealth Games were on, and we were winning. Remember when we mm. yeah and we blew up, but. It was um, it was cool racing, man. It was so fun to watch. So it's because it's a bit more of a yo-yo, isn't it? It is. So it's a you know, and, and you've got your, maybe you've got your strong guys and your weaker girls, or vice versa. Uh, so it's quite tactical how you play it out. But it is a speed game, and you're often in the groups. You know, you're riding. You know, maybe groups of three, four, five, yeah. or two, um, and I think it's 300 meter swim. I think it's a 9k bike, and then about a. 1500 meter run or 2k run something like that four times through so should be good okay wait so australia i'm going australia i call australia home okay john well that's pretty exciting stuff other than that uh, you got a little piece of news about the european cross champions this was just giving the 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 british system another high five because you they've got their european cross country championships and nothing to do with triathlon but they've got a a trio of the british junior triathletes are heading over to the the european cross country champs and that just shows that the brits take take a very good long-term look at this in terms of developing their talent they go we need somebody who can swim and keep your running going until you're really ready to totally step it out up and you're out of that sort of under 23 or under 19 division just keep running keep going to running races and uh yes they've got three athletes that are going off to the european champs just shows they've got a good production line and some good athletes still coming through good time to go to the uk um john this week's discussion this week's discussion we basically wanted to know what is the best try related item that you have brought I know, Kristen McKinley, I got it wrong. No, I got it wrong. I'm going to put my hand up. I can't even spell triathlon. I put triathlon. Yeah. Uh, and so did I, I copy had, and paste it, did I? You did. Oh, I had okay. brought as opposed to bought. Yeah, I, I probably, John, I would have got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we're both, we're both pretty sharp in this era. Kristen McKinley's got, uh, sorry about being anally retentive uh, around the grammar. We'll let it go. We're better than you, Christine. <laughs> we let these things go. And uh, uh, temporary retirement from triathlon at the Mo. But the best thing I bought this year is a little portable ten tens m- machine. What's a, what's a tens machine? Like pulses on your legs. Oh, okay. Uh, at the Expo in Kona. Uh, the best comment though of the week though goes to Skip Slade. Yes. Ongoing donation to I Am Talk as an investment. It's gold. Yes. Can at- you say suck it up? S- suck up. Suck it up. He's just got suck up. Okay. I'm sure Christine's oh, probably angry at him as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, George Rennell's got best cloud running shoes by On Running. Outstanding. The best. And then he's got number two, stride power meter. Are you using your stride much? No. Why not? It's not working. <laughs> oh, isn't it? And I've got, I've got, it did work for quite a while. And I don't know what I've, it's just not charging. I don't, I don't know. 
oh, that's disappointing. They're not cheap. You should have seen it back. I didn't think mine was charging. Yeah. And then... then you realised it wasn't plugged in? No, it wasn't that. Some, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was a peasant error. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I was almost going to write to them, say, look, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it didn't happen. Uh, Alan Bryce, Alan and Vicky Bryson, clincher carbon wheels. No more trying to work out where to carry the spare tubular. Good, good point. Old, good old Phil Scott's got German short-haired pointer. He's got a dog. Got me to go training with. Uh, Joanne Baxis, Iron Cowboys book. Haven't seen that. Oh, that's a funny we haven't heard about that. Hmm. You think we've got some PR around that? Uh, Tom Blaine, a subscription to Swift. It's absolute game changer for my indoor training, turning dull necessity into a serious fun part of my training week. FTP increases through the roof. Nice work. Ed Hodgson, salt tabs stop cramping every time. It's interesting you say that because <laughs> the scientists tell us don't take, you don't need salt, don't take it, doesn't make any difference. But I think we have a lot of examples where people would take salt. When they cramp, and they cramp, and it seems to work. And I will also note that um, I'm not plugging this product at all because I've never tried it myself. But the old hot shots, I noticed Rob Gray, who we've got later in the show, he took a hot shots thing when he was uh, hot sort shots of, is what? It's a, it's the thing you always get in your your race bag. Yeah, I know the brand. Uh, uh, it's like a, it's supposed to be an anti cramping. Um, oh, okay. Drink, and it seems to seems to be working. So if you from strip, from feedback you got, yeah. It's apparently, it tastes like rubbish. Yeah. Remember when Gatorade brought out the salty one? And it was literally like drinking the sea. Mm. And they put some flavour in, but you didn't, you didn't, seriously, <laughs> that one didn't last long. Dustin Quigley's got uh, probably the new felt IA bike frame and cockpit to go with it. After having a bike I bought used uh, and then have had since 2010, it was time. Much better design and allows me to get in a significantly better position. I still have some remnants of my old rig on this bike though. Pavel Chalicis, the Castelli tri-suit, the most comfortable one I've had. Well, you haven't tried the Iron Talk one or Bevan's nappy shorts. Oh, mate, the nappy shorts are gold. So take it up another level. Get yourself some Iron Talk kit for Christmas or gift it. What a great Christmas present. Oh, best ever. Stuart Moore's got a, a week at one of Brett Sutton's camps has changed everything that our team bought about triathlon, thought about triathlon, technology and gadgets. Just aren't that as important to us anymore. So many insights every day and training alongside world champions. I didn't realise Brett put on camps. I think part of a, whether he does it or not, but it's certainly their their business does. Yeah, yeah. camps are fantastic. So oh, I think yeah. it's, it's similar to Epic Camp. You know, you you break through all these barriers and you're just and there's so much self discovery within it as well, mm. isn't it? You know, like it's, it's the kind of what you can learn, but also just that kind of level that you discover within yourself. Um, Paul Dennett, uh, Chrissy Wellington's book that I just got signed by the legend herself, Top Top Lady. Nice. Mark Adrian Hernandez has got subscription to Trainer Road. At first I was hesitant, but now I can't do my workouts without it. So many workouts to choose from for various goals and workout objectives. That, my Canon Max Speed, Speed Max, which is one, uh, uh, which was love at first sight. So a few people have also said, they've said Trainer Road and Zwift and things like that. So certainly having those indoor tools in terms of either being... It's on, really changed the game, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. So, so, so for those that don't know, Zwift is basically an online platform. And it's like a game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're basically you're going on there and you're riding laps around a course and there's other people riding, it's all power-based and you can go on there and do races and things like that. Some people like that. Um, a lot of people use Trainer Road, which is more workout-based, so if you've got a smart trainer, really forces you to do particular workouts and ride at certain percentages of FTP and that's kind of my go-to because I just think it's you just get on there and you're doing the workout, there's no there's no choice about it. Um, so yeah, those sort of if you're going into winter training, 
there's Trainer Road, there's Zwift, there's um, Perf Pro is more where it's not sort of, uh, it's it's all sort of stored on your computer. It's not so much of a, an app, but also just talks to your um, smart trainer. So any of those three. Do you use will, any? I know yeah, use Trainer Road. I, I, I use, generally use Trainer Road. Have you um, tried Zwift? Yeah, I've tried Zwift. I prefer to be watching something else when I'm training. So in terms of you know just watching yep. a cycling or documentary or something like that, I prefer to do that. But um, from time to time, I'd go into Zwift and, and ride. Guy Pilkington's got a really good one here. Wine. Wine. It's got the red wine too. Final one for me, Aaron Morgan. Any purchase the wife did not notice or catch me making. <laughs> Oh, those good times. Okay, John, this week's discussion, we're flipping on its head. So last week we said, what were the best buys? This week we're saying, what's the worst triathlon present you have ever received? Maybe let's expand that. Okay. Worst present? No, triathlon. Let's keep it triathlon. I don't think we're going to get many answers for triathlon. I think we will. How many triathlon presents have you received, John? I get hundreds. Seriously? Yes. I don't think I've ever got a... Even when I was doing Iron Man... Let's keep it tri-specific. Sporting specific. Let's do and... Whatever. <laughs> I don't think we get many answers. Well, it could be maybe worst triathlon thing you've bought, and or and or a present. Okay. So worst pre- worst present or most unuseful triathlon thing you bought. Okay. And if you want to, you can put your worst present. Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> okay, fantastic! It's, it's fantastic! fantastic. You, I don't know what you're talking about here, John. My show notes are lacking. Well, have you not received emails from Torsten? Oh, so you, what, I'm going to have to do some work around this. No, you've you've received a PDF document from the legend that is Torsten from tryrating.com. So it says, it's just for my benefit, it says in the show notes, top fives, care of Torsten. Okay. Next time I'll put refer to email that Torsten has sent. Well, us. good. Yes, you do because I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of things to do today, John. I've got time to look around for <laughs> Torsten's emails. Uh, so I'm actually going to get Torsten on the show next week. I think it is uh, just to really keen to hear his thoughts around what it was like to be in Kona for a stats geek who's followed this race way deeper than any of us for so many years and then actually to be over there. So if you've got any questions, I'll try to remember to put a post on Facebook as well. Any questions you might have for Torsten around stats or anything like that, um, we'll see if we can answer those off. So send them through. And so we've been talking on a show recently around the top five results in Ironman for different nations around the world. And Thorsten, being the good man that he is, being the geek that he is, he did some research on this and came up with some answers. Though We did get a few listeners hearing some as well, but Thorsten's also got gone a little bit deeper and he's got some results from different countries as well he has indeed so uh if we start with the americans americans have a think who you think has been your fastest male ironman athlete of all time if you want to pause it now then you can come back but there's a few surprises in there for me in terms of the fastest over the iron distance race at number one You've got Matt Hansen with a 7.52. Wouldn't have picked that. This year. Ironman Texas. Andy Potts second, 7.55. You would have put him up there. Probably would have, yeah. In this era, like you can think back to early days and you think they've gotten, but they weren't that fast. Mm, They were fast, but. Yeah, but not like they weren't doing the low sevens. Yes, and that was at Western Australia. Andrew Starkowitz, 7.55 also at uh, Ironman Florida. Uh, Tim O'Donnell, 7.55 as well. So three 7.55s at Ironman Brazil. And Ben Hoffman, 7.58 at Ironman South Africa. For the females, Again, wouldn't have picked this one. First, Lindsay Corbin, 8.42 at Ironman Austria. And I'm not downplaying this one at all, but we kind of know that Austria is a yeah. bit short, yep. and so are, but so are plenty of the other courses. And uh, the top three here are all Austria. Yeah, uh, to, top two. Uh, so Meredith Alice, 8.43 oh, at Ironman Arizona. Austria. Okay. Meredith Kessler has got a number of quick finishes, but her fastest is 8.44 at Ironman Arizona. Ashley Clifford, 
849 Ironman Florida. Apologies to Ashley, but I haven't. No. Don't recall that name. No. And then Paul and Newby Fraser. So we have got one of the older athletes in here um, from Ironman Europe slash wrote in 1994. She went 850.53, which was the record that stood for long an time. awfully long time. And I remember talking back in the show years ago saying, when's, when's women going to get faster? And then, then 2000, when we did wrote, when we did wrote they broke and then it. from there, women's just gone faster and faster. Yeah. So we also, he also sent through, do you want to do Kona today? Yeah, we'll we'll do do we'll, okay. we'll, we won't do all the countries today. We'll save some for next week. Okay, so so in the males in Kona for you, United States, you have Mark Allen, he did in 8.07. Dave Scott did in 8.10. Ben Hoffman, 8.13 in 2016. Andy Potts did in 8.14 this year. Tim O'Donnell did 8.16 in 2016. And then the girls, we have Paula Newby Fraser. 8.55 is still the fastest American. I wonder if she was racing from Zimbabwe when she did that, but I'm not quite sure. But mm. she did change allegiances at some stage in her career. Heather Jackson did in 9.02. Caitlin Snow did a 19 Meredith Kessler did a 19 as well and Lindsay Corbin did a 917 I wonder what's happened to Caitlin Snow I haven't seen that name around for a little while no uh, okay we'll quickly do the Germans um, so Jan Fredino obviously has the fastest time ever um, of 7.35 Andreas Raylert 7.41 both of them at Challenge Road as is Nils Fromhold with a 7.51 which he did in 2015 Keenlave 7.52 at Ironman Germany last year and Andy Boucherer at Ironman Germany went 7.53 the fastest German females of all time uh, uh, Sandra Wallenhorst with a 8.47 at Ironman Austria. Sonia Tysik with an 8.49 at Rote in 2012. Diana Reisler, 8.51 at Challenge Regensburg. Julia Geiger, an 8.51 at Challenge Rote. And Astrid Steinen with an 8.54 at Ironman Barcelona. Uh, well, then we look at Kona. It's pretty interesting. Kona, Patrick Langer, he, he did an 8.01, which is smoking fast. Mm. Um, Thomas Helregel did an 8.06. I wouldn't have picked that one. No, not at all. In in, in 20 years ago. Yeah. That's pretty smoking. That's faster than um, Jan Fredino, who did an 8.06.30, so he beat down by 20 seconds 20 years later. <laughs> Sebastian Keenley did an 8.09 in 2017, and then Andreas Raylert did an 8.11 in 2011. Nina Kraft, but whose was a DQ, wasn't it? Was that yeah. yeah, she got caught done for cheating? Well, no, she got a second and th- she got a. Uh, I think she got a second and third. Okay. So I'm sure this isn't her her winning time. Okay, uh, Anja Berenik got uh, 9:14. Sonia Tushit, is that her name? Uh, you just go with what yep. we're asked. 9:15. Julia Gaga, uh, 9:16, and Sandra Wallenhurst did a 9:22. Maybe we'll do some of the other countries uh, in the other years, but Torsten will be doing a post on this, and we'll go through the main sort of. English-speaking countries, but he's also going to have uh, listed on his website all the different countries in terms of, for example, the fastest from Chile uh, female is Pamela Testest with a 907. And if we look at, say, uh, Ireland, um, Amar Mullen with an 856. And Mexican Palmera Alvarez with a 945. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep keep going through this over the next few weeks, but good work, Thorsten. We love your work. And guys, if you want to check out his great work, Make sure you put a bookmark in for tryrating.com. Give them a donation while you're there as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Okay, John, so we have the winner of the Ultraman World Championship, Rob Gray. He had a great race a couple of weeks ago, so we thought we'd get him on the show to talk about his race day. And here is Rob right now. Okay, guys, um, we have got the winner of the Ultraman World Champs over in Kona, the, I think it was the weekend before last. Uh, he's been on the show before after winning 
Ultraman Florida and before the race in Florida, so three times within the space of about a year and a half or so. So welcome back to the show, Rob. Thanks, John. Hey, Bev. Hey. <laughs> so um, we spoke to you, after, as I said, after you'd won Florida, and then you went on to finish uh, second in Ultraman in 2016, um, and then you've gone back to win it. So I'm, I'm always intrigued. Um, as to why people want to do Ultraman, but I, I guess the same question would apply if people are doing half Ironmans. Why would you then go and do an Ironman? But what are, for you? What's uh, the motivation to, to to go really long? Um, yeah, it's a good question. It's one that I get asked quite a bit, and uh, for me, it's a it's a very different race. So obviously, the Ultraman's over three days, so there's a lot more that that you have to think about, just in terms of the logistics, the crew. All that kind of stuff. And then you also have recovery after each day. So it feels very different, even though day three is a double marathon and not just one marathon, you haven't had to swim and bike before that. So it, it makes a little difference in terms of how you prepare for it. Um, and then just you know, just the three days is, uh, yeah, the recovery becomes a very important part of that. Whereas with an Ironman, once you're done with that day, you can, like the recovery is somewhat important if you're racing again, but otherwise... Uh, not that much. So it just makes it a little more interesting. Uh, it's also a lot more complicated. So I, I can never see myself doing more than one a year just because of everything else that goes around the race. Excuse me, you got Bevan's <laughs> dying on you. <laughs> so, um, so second last year, you know, uh, how did you change your approach? I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you're you. Okay, good. good. Glad you you're change? still alive, mate. Yeah. <laughs> how did you change your approach um, this year, or did you change your approach? Uh, yeah, I did change my approach. So, uh, so I mean, the, it kind of ties into your previous question about why Ultraman over Ironman, and the I feel that the Ultraman distance. Uh, really suits me. I'm more like a like a diesel engine. Like what? Yeah, I've got a. I, I can go at a fairly sustainable tempo pace for a long time. So it's it's really about when you prepare for this event, maximizing that. And given that you're biking for such a long time, it's making sure that your sustainable bike power is uh, is adequate for this race. And yeah, for this race last year, I I kind of fell apart on the run. Uh, you know, towards the end. So I had a, had a pretty good run up until about mile 38, and then my quads just packed in uh, back in 2016. So I really wanted to resolve that. So I did a lot more downhill running in uh, in training. Um, I also did a lot more running at faster paces than I would uh, during the actual race, which was different to how I prepared in 2016. And I, I just surrounded myself people that are a lot better than me. So twice a week, I, I'm running with Colleen Dariak, who's a, you know, she's a multiple Olympian in in the marathon distance. Uh, Joanna Zeiger, who's, you know, she was 70.3 world champion a number of years back. Uh, and Darren Dariak's run group. So these are all runners who are a lot better than me. They're a bunch of pros that run in that group as well. So I'm, you know, I view it as a good day if I can keep up with Colleen. And it really just, you know, reinforces that, high quality running. So I did a lot more of that very high quality stuff this year. And even my long runs, I would just incorporate into those run groups. I would I would run about uh, 12Ks to the run group, do the do the run session, which is you know, kind of high tempo and threshold, and then run back home again. So you know, even the long run, which is about 20 miles, the middle part of that is, is really high, high quality stuff. 
Uh, and I felt that yeah, that that was the thing that made a big difference this year was being yeah, having that extra gear on the run. And then also the the run execution. I, I did the run walk, but I did it right from the start of the of the run, uh, even the downhill. So you run from Harvey to Kona, which has a lot of downhill in the beginning. And I was even walking during that part, uh, which yeah, people people thought I was they were looking at me with with great pity in their eyes when they saw I was walking at mile two. <laughs> but uh, it, it definitely paid off by being able to save myself for the end. I think there's a lot to be said for doing you know, the, the hard running and Ironman training and, and Ultraman training is, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because a lot of athletes don't do it or they don't do any races as lead-ups to their Ironman or, or whatever and I think they really suffer from it but it's always that knife edge you're on where you don't want to be injuring yourself but that hard running can certainly help you in the back half of an Ironman and, and obviously helped you in the back half of, uh, of Ultraman. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, also just having that leg speed and the leg turnover, which living at altitude actually is difficult to get. When you when you go from altitude to sea level, of course, you feel great. But often in training, you haven't trained at those speeds with the leg turnover that you have in a race. And in, during this Ultraman, we also had a tailwind just after Kauai So it was actually really difficult to not run at a at a fast pace because of the tailwind for that you know whatever that was 10 15 k's uh, and I, I feel that the downhill running plus the the sort of high tempo stuff really helped me just with that muscular resilience to to withstand that faster pace that, that must have got bloody hot on the queen k with the tailwind coming down uh, down down that stretch of the queen k it, it yeah it was so we started off the day there was these crazy crosswinds coming down from Javi so it was side on and at, because I started super conservatively I could see all the runners in front of me it was pretty funny because they were all running at angles it was like you know they were leaning into the wind just to stay upright and a few of them even had some uh, some some injuries like I know Amy Craft was running and she the wind blew her one foot into the other, so it actually hit her. She hit. She kind of hit herself in the in the calf with her other foot, and uh, the, yeah, that kind of bothered her for the rest of the race. But it was kind of funny seeing there was this tall guy, Bruno Maggio, running in front of me, and he was literally leaning over almost at forty five degrees just to stay upright. Wow! Um, and then we got on the Queen K, and it was a tail. And that yeah, as it was cloudy at first, so it wasn't too bad. But then, yeah, it was. Yeah, all the way pretty much till the airport. It was uh, it was it was pretty hot, and then we had a headwind after that, as as you always do in the in the final bit. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually a relief with the headwind because we we finally got some cooling. Rob, you, you know you are a triathlon coach yourself. For those who don't know much about uh, Ultraman training, what's what's the kind of key differences between someone who's going to train for an Ironman and someone who's going to do an Ultraman? So a lot of people think that you you've got to do significantly more volume which isn't really the case so this year uh, I've mentioned I was focusing on high quality and I think my biggest hours were I think the one week I did I had two weeks that were like 23 hours everything else was under 20 so not much more than you know probably a top level age group who would do in their in their preparation for an Ironman uh, the yeah the differences would be you know, I would try to do uh, two days of of back-to-back long running, which is it's a trick that I learned from some of the ultra runners. Yeah, they'll go and do like a 20-mile run followed by a 30-mile run the next day. 
I didn't really do too many of those, but it would be you know like a 20 mile and a and a 15 mile or something like that, uh, and, and as well as multiple runs per day. So some of the days I would do 20 22 23 miles in the morning with with uh, like seven or eight in the in the evening just to get that high volume in without really breaking down the body too much. Uh, on the bike, people would usually think you're doing rides that are a lot longer and a lot lower intensity. Uh, for me, it was actually the opposite. It was more like training for a half Ironman because you really need that uh, that additional power level, especially in the in the Kona race. You get out the water and you, you're riding uphill for at least the first 10 to 12 Ks. So you, you don't really have a choice but to have high power output just to get up the hill. And that yeah, that is actually, I was riding it at harder than I would ride a, a half Ironman bike leg, at least for the first section and probably the last section as well. There's like a staircase climb going up to Volcano. Uh, it's about 50 Ks total, but with a few, not, not too steep, like four or 5% sections. And on those sections, you, you're pretty much hitting half Ironman power. So I, I do train pretty much exactly like I would for an Ironman, but then incorporate a lot of higher intensity stuff like I would for a half Ironman as well, just to have that uh, power level to to turn to when I need it. So it sounds to me like you're really, you're, you're, it seems like your focus was making sure that your legs were going to be tough enough for that second half of the run by doing all that intensity and double runs and things like that. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely. You want to be durable. Uh, you know, it's, it really is about strength and durability versus having yeah, absolute speed. Uh, I see that a lot with some of the, some of the pros that I train with in Boulder, they're like, they're like thoroughbred race horses. They, you know, they're, they're very fast, but they're not. Uh, yeah, they they break down pretty easily if uh, with it with a high training load, or if they had to do a double marathon, they would be quick through the first bit, but then they would they would break down. So I think having the focus on durability and strength uh, you know, outweighs the absolute speed. So for sure, uh, and on the bike as well, you get to day three. Uh, if you're not well prepared on the bike on the first two days, uh, you get to day three and your legs will be toast for that double marathon. So that is a key key aspect as well for the to prepare for day three. So go- going into this year's race, did you feel like you were you know fitter or faster than than the previous year, or just a bit more durable on the the run? Uh, definitely felt fitter and faster on on both the bike and the run. So my bike shape was. Uh, was really good. I started working with um, a British cycling coach, Matt Bottrell, and he yeah, he really put me through the ringer in some of these workouts. And even though I only had a few months with him before Ultraman, I felt that the the work that he gave me put me on a on another level with regards to my cycling, and that that definitely helped lay the foundation uh, for the win because I could open that gap on the other guys. And then the run. I, yeah, I definitely felt like I was in significantly better run shape, even though I hadn't done super long runs. When I did do a long run, it was you know, I was probably at least a minute per mile faster than I was uh, at this time last year. So that that definitely did help, and it it was a big confidence boost going into the race, knowing that the run wasn't something that I just kind of had to hang on and it, it might let me down. Um, I, I was confident that I could execute a good run this year so so talk us through through the events sort of day day by day and sort of how it panned out 
Okay, so uh, day one, uh, so you start with a 10K swim. Uh, at, you start at the same place that the Ironman swim starts, uh, but you don't have 3,000 other people with you. So it's actually a, a beautiful swim. It's it's nice and relaxing. Uh, the, the conditions were pretty calm. We, yeah, we didn't have, a, last year I think was quite a big current assist and this year we we didn't have that but it was it was a beautiful swim there's a lot of sea life out there and i just took it easy i basically i've 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 done this enough times to know what my sustainable pace is so i just take it out of that it's it's about the same intensity that i swim an ironman at but i just want to make sure that i'm feeling really relaxed the whole time and i knew before the race i knew so jeremy howard is a great swimmer so i expected him to be uh yeah, a little ahead of me, and, and he took off. So he he was he went off really quickly and disappeared into the distance. Uh, and I think by probably by five k's in, he was at least uh, three or four hundred meters ahead of me, which is which is about the gap I was expecting. Uh, and then I could see another guy who was a little bit ahead of me that I, I originally thought it was Arno Selikov because in an Ironman he's he's usually about the same as me or maybe thirty seconds to a minute faster than me. Uh, he was kind of you know, in the vicinity of me, a little bit ahead. So I thought it was him. Uh, I later found out it was it was an Italian guy um, that I, I I didn't really know before. But uh, I so I, I couldn't see anyone behind me though. So I knew I had put a good gap in on the on the rest of the field except for Jeremy. Uh, and I just I just continued at my tempo. I didn't try catch Jeremy because I know he's a much better swimmer. And I just sort of let it play out, and uh, got to T1. Uh, Jeremy would. Jeremy was 11 minutes ahead of me at that point, uh, and then I actually passed the Italian guy in T1. So I, he was uh, he was doing a whole lot of stuff. It actually just reinforces the importance of transitions, even in a, in a race that's this long. Uh, you can make up a lot of time, or you can lose a lot of time in those transitions. So I just I treated it like a normal Ironman transition. Was in and out of there pretty quickly. So I got onto the bike in second place, uh, and of course I didn't know who the others or where the others were. Uh, yeah, I viewed Arno, to, uh, Arno as, a, as a, a big contender, so I was interested in where he was. And then Tony O'Keefe, who, by the way, he's 56 years old and he's still right up there with, uh, with the rest of us. Just a <coughs> tremendous athlete. And uh, so I just, I just rode on and I got a split within a few Ks that I was seven minutes behind Jeremy now. So I knew that I was gaining pretty quickly. Uh, and I was happy with the progress I was making. So, I, and I felt great on the bike. Usually, after a 10k swim, it takes me a little while to get going on the bike and to really feel good. Uh, but I was really having to hold myself back. Uh, that's how good I was feeling. Nice. Um, and I passed him about 40k's in, I think. So I made the pass. Uh, Jeremy wasn't looking that good, uh, which was yeah, that filled me with even more confidence, and I could ride hard pretty much the rest of the uh, the rest of the day. Uh, and I got a split that Tony and Arno had came out, I think it was about 12 or 13 minutes behind me in the swim. So uh, that was also good because I, I thought I could put a bit of time into those guys as well. Uh, so it was, a, it was a tough day. It wasn't, the conditions were easier than last year. So last year we had a, a massive headwind for a long time as you go around the south of the island. And just to describe the course, you, you exit where the, the swim where the Sheraton is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ride all, you just continue going around the island and then you climb up to volcano after you're around the south point of the island so the the final 50 k's is uphill and to to make matters a bit tougher that we had a headwind the whole way up there as well 
so that was that was hard, but I I really liked that because it, that condition suits me because I yeah, I've, I've focused a lot on the aerodynamics. Uh, my bike position is very aggressive, so I knew if I just stayed aero the whole time and really just focused on putting the power down, I could make up some time on uh, on the other guys. So. And I've got to say, I've, I've done that ride a number of times, and uh, for people that are listening, the climb up to Volcano, it does, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty smoked by the time you get there, and I think I've cracked every single time. It's just long, not that steep, but just goes on forever, and you keep thinking, just about there, just about there, and then you see the signs that come up on the side of the road, and you're going, man, I've still got 20 miles to go, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long climb. So, so finishing up day one, you know, what's your, what's your recovery strategy in terms of looking after yourself as soon as you get in and, uh, and getting ready for the next day? Yeah, so the, one of the mistakes I made last year was I was, I was so focused on getting enough carbohydrate in me that I, I didn't really focus on the protein at all. So this year I made sure I had protein, I uh, had, had a bunch of protein uh, drinks ready to drink. So I had uh, protein, uh, carbohydrates, so just like a insured drink, uh, just to get me going. I had a, yeah, I had a quick interview with Bob Babbitt, and then I had the, uh, I make like this rice pudding, which is just white rice with a bit of condensed milk, um, and I eat that, and I just try f- fueling the rest of the day until we have a real meal, and then just continue with that. So yeah, sandwiches, just simple foods as well, white rice, oatmeal, all that sort of stuff, and then really getting in enough protein that day. And, of course, trying to get some rest, sleep, a bit of a massage, and then preparing for day two. What, what time do you finish? I finished, uh, <clears throat> it must have been about 2 p.m., I think. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So it's day two. You know, you kick off with a bloody long downhill from um, from Volcano, just a gentle downhill. Uh, you do a little loop around the, the red road, and uh, and then you head up to along sort of the coast through Hilo and um, beautiful riding when the conditions are, are good but often they are not and then there's a long climb um, up through Waimea and, and out to Harvey so I understand it was pretty challenging conditions. It was raining most of the day so we start off in the rain um, and it's it's cold as well up there you had four and a half thousand feet it must have been it's not that it was like six or seven degrees celsius I think uh, at the start uh, we start off in the rain, and that yeah, that downhill you you hitting big speeds down there. Mm. And uh, Arno had finished, I think he was about 38 minutes behind me after day one. Uh, so he had some time to make up, and he just he just really went for it. So he took a flyer off the front uh, right from the word go, and he, he must have been going easily. You know, over 90 k's an hour down there, maybe <laughs> closer to 100. Nice. Uh, in the in the driving rain, and the road surface is not fantastic either, so you kind of hit these, you know, little bumps in the road every now and again. So it, yeah. it can be pretty sketchy. And you also got these, like there is a like a shoulder that you can ride in, but they're these cat's eyes uh, reflectors in the road that you <clears> you kind of need to negotiate to get through to that. After uh, yeah, when the shoulder ends, you have to kind of go back and forth between the road and the shoulder. Uh, and at you know, 55 miles an hour, those things come up on you pretty quickly. So some some good bike handling skills required for that. And yeah, Arno just went off the front. I, I, I had a drop chain down there, so I had to stop at some point and just put that back on. Uh, I caught Tony on the red road, but Arno was maybe four or five minutes ahead by then. Uh, then you you climb Hilo, and then on that, you, I mean, you go through Hilo, and then there's that climb to Waimea that is it's kind of this long, gradual climb. 
And I, I, I was catching on her before that point, and I thought that if I just you know, ride a little bit harder, I would actually catch him. But yeah, he had a he had a breakaway in mind again. So he, after Gila, I, it was maybe five minutes ahead of ahead of me. And by the time we got to Waimea, I think he was nine minutes ahead. So he put in a lot of good time, and I was riding a lot harder than I was before. So he did he did this Eddie Merck style break where he was just he just went for it from the beginning and kept it all day. <laughs> and then the descent, so you climb up the Kahala Mountains, then the descent into Harvey, it's about 21 k's descending the the road's pretty sketchy it's uneven road surface it was it was windy like i can't believe climbing up the kahalas i was getting blown from one side of the road right to the other and when you when you go on the descent that you still have that wind but it's broken up by the mountains and trees it it comes from different directions so you don't know where to expect it to come from plus you're hitting this speed plus it was wet and the road surface is not great at the best of times uh, I just took the view to try and be safe down there because you're almost done. You're almost at the run. And I didn't, I felt like I was on the verge of crashing most of the time. So I rode the brakes, which were not working, by the way, uh, pretty much <laughs> all the way down that hill. And Arno put in some more times. So he put in about you know, another six or seven minutes. So he finished day three, I think 14 minutes ahead of me on the bike. So his deficit then uh, was reduced to about 24, 24 minutes. So I, I played it safe. I got there safely, barely. And the you know, the, the top three, w- it was kind of reversed. Then. So I was still in the lead, but Arno was only 24 minutes behind me going into the run. And uh, Jeremy Howard was uh, 40 minutes behind me going into the run. But he's a phenomenal runner. So I, w- I was kind of more concerned about Jeremy, actually, uh, just because I, th- I felt he could probably run an hour faster than me on day three. I'm just thinking when you're talking, I've done again, I've done that descent down there and you, if people think of watching like Tour de France and you see people like um, uh, um, Nibali and stuff just attacking on the downhill when it's a downhill finish, it can't be a good feeling when you you want to be safe but you don't want to be, uh, don't want to be losing time. Yeah, absolutely. I think if it, was, if it had been Jeremy ahead of me, I probably would have taken the risks. Uh, you know, Arno and I are very similar and going to the race why I thought he was a, uh, a big threat and overall contender is because we've raised each other in Ironmans and we pretty, we pretty even across all three sports. So he doesn't have any weakness really compared to me and, and vice versa. So I, I was comfortable that even if I had no lead over Arno on the, on the final day, it would be, it would be a case of who just had more durability on the actual day. Uh, but Jeremy, you know, Jeremy has run that double marathon. Uh, so in, in Hawaii, he had run a, a 6.45 double marathon before. And my previous, my run last year was like seven hours 41. So I knew, I knew he had at least an hour on me, uh, all things being equal to last year. But I also knew I'd made improvements on my run, but it was, at that stage, it was just untested. So at, the decision to let Arno go, and and I knew he would be descending like a crazy man, um, uh, yeah, I really wanted to get to the run in one piece, and I, I've, I did feel that that you know, having a 30 minute or you know, 20 to 30 minutes on him on day three would probably be enough, yeah, and definitely not worth worth risking a crash for. And so your strategy on on day three, you're going into the run. You've talked about you know how you were going to play it out with the the run and the walk. Um, but was it very much you just running to your pace all the way through the day and assessing the situation, or how did you have it in your mind how things were going to pan out so you know you could um, you could win the race? 
So mentally, I, I really wanted to feel like I was holding myself back until at least the first marathon and then seeing what the splits were then. Yeah, you get the splits at 10K in the first half marathon, but that, that doesn't really tell you much because there's always some guys who go off the front at, at a crazy pace. And we, the first 10K, we went through 10Ks. I was probably, yeah, I started way back in the field just to let all the, the fast guys go so that I wouldn't be tempted to run with them. I think Arno went through 10K seven minutes faster than me. Uh, and then the, the first half marathon, I can't remember, but he you know, he was still quite a, quite a way ahead and I and Jeremy was starting to gain ground then but the you know, the real line in the sun is after the first marathon where Jeremy went through in 308 uh, Arno went through in 321 so I knew he had I knew he was fading a little bit at that stage because he you know, he had been running with Jeremy all the time up until that point uh, certainly with all the splits I was getting so I had yeah I had nine minutes between me and Arno which I was comfortable with uh, but then there was 22 minutes. I, I went through in 3:30 exactly, and by by that stage, at stage I'd caught up to Tony O'Keefe, uh, and he's a great runner. So I felt very comfortable that I was with Tony. Uh, that uh, yeah, I had reduced that gap that Arno had, and then I was concerned about the 22 minutes that Jeremy had, because of all things being equal, if we stayed the same uh, equivalent split for the second marathon, then he would win. So I knew I had to step it up in the second marathon, and you know that's really where I really started focusing. And it was very tempting to start skipping the walk breaks then because I was I was feeling good, I wasn't feeling tired at all, and I was tempted just to run through many of those walk breaks. But I I decided just to wait until I had about 10 or 15 miles to go before deciding whether to continue with the walk breaks or not. So it was very it was an exercise in extreme patience to. You know, to, and, and to try and calculate that and make sure that I didn't let him get too much time on me. What, 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 and when did you actually decide not to, did you actually, was it 15 miles out, we actually decided to stop the walking? Uh, so with when we entered the final half marathon, uh, I got the split that he was 25 minutes ahead. Uh, and that was that was a good feeling because at the marathon, he was 22 minutes ahead. So in that, in that third half marathon, he had only put in another three minutes. So I knew that I could at least for the next maybe six or seven miles continue with my walk break and then see see where I stood with maybe eight or ten miles to go. And then with, with ten miles to go, I started to feel – I was still feeling good, so I, I'd, I'd skip every second walk break. And then it was just a case of I, – I knew I'd get no more splits. So it was a case of waiting for Jeremy to finish and then see what time he got uh, and then go from there. And – uh, and when I got it, he finished in six hours twenty-four, and yeah, I was pretty happy that I'd yeah, that I'd anticipated his his good strong finish uh, because originally at the beginning of the day I thought he might run at six forty-five mm-hmm. at best. So he uh, he put in a phenomenal run, uh, and I think I was about five miles from the end when he crossed in uh, in six twenty-four, and so I knew I had to run eight-minute miles. Uh, which uh, what is that about five minute Ks? Um, yeah, up until the up until the finish line, in order to because I knew I then had to finish in seven hours and four minutes. Mm. So I just I I was just hitting that, making sure my average pace was uh, w- was at the, r- the correct pace. I stopped the walk breaks altogether, so I just ran all the way through. Um, and there's also a point at which you've been running for so long where the walk breaks are no longer beneficial. Mm. So 
if you if you walk and then you try run again and everything feels like it's starting to seize up, then you know it's a good sign that you should just continue running and and not stop at all just because it's too difficult to start again. And probably three miles from the end, uh, bear in mind I knew I had to run eight minute miles. I was I was looking at my Garmin and the the fields I have in my Garmin is current lap and current and the average pace for that lap. And all of a sudden I started seeing like 9.45 per mile, 10.30 per mile. And, I, and it felt like I was running you know, 7.30 per mile. So I actually had to get my, my pacer. So Ian Hersey, who, who was pacing me, he had his run watch on as well. I had to get, get him to, I had to get a second opinion on that. Um, and he said I was actually running faster than my Garmin was saying. So it was just a Garmin malfunction, but it, that caused me to run a lot faster because I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was just imagining that I was running fast when my, I, I had absolute belief in my Garmin. Uh, so there was a few miles in there where I ran faster than I needed to. Uh, yeah. And I think that helped, that helped really secure the pace for the, for the end and make sure I had that, that final buffer. But in the end, I, I just went old school. They've got these mile markers along the Queen K, and I would just hit my lap button every every mile marker. So I was old school. measuring it manually. Yeah. So what's the story with um, with paces and things like that? How does that work at this race? Because I know with Norseman and things like that, you have someone you know, up the second half of the, the run with you, but are you allowed to have somebody running with you all the way? Yes, so you can have a you can have a pacer. You can have, just have one, so one of your crew, and they, they can switch out, but you can only have one at a time. And other than maybe the first five Ks, I think you can have a pacer the whole way. So I, I generally try – I don't need a pacer really until I think we're in the second marathon. That's really when the pacer becomes critical because you, you're not really thinking straight. You, you can't really rely on your own judgment that much. So it's very useful to have a good pacer just to keep you on track. And, and what Ian did that was great was he would run just ahead of me, not next to me. So it's like this carrot that I was chasing the whole time. And he he probably did about 20 miles with me, and he had run he had done Ironman Arizona the week before. <laughs> nice. Plus, my crew was running out of water that I didn't I didn't know about this, but he he was running with two bottles in his hand, and I thought he was I thought one was for him and one was for me, but he he actually had them both for me, to make sure that I had enough fluids. So he he probably did at least 16 k's or so without any fluids in the in the heat of the Queen K of on Hawaii. And uh, he, yeah, he actually suffered pretty bad dehydration. He was he was lying face down on the concrete block at the end once we had finished. But uh, yeah, at, at least he at least he did his great pacing job for me at the at his own risk. So and I had plenty of water. I was just cavalierly throwing water over my head and all over myself while he was dying at first. What was it like to to get across the finish line and win it? Oh, it, it was incredible. So it was yeah, probably until. Even even with a mile to go, you you turn down Makala Road, which is the same road you turn down on the bike uh, during the Ironman, which is about a mile from the end. But I, I was still second guessing myself because it was coming down to the wire so much. I was I was not sure if it was a mile or a mile and a half. And when you're talking about four or five minutes, that you know, those yeah that that starts to play a big difference. There's a big difference between a mile and a mile and a half. So I was. Yeah, right. Right up till I saw the finish line, I, I wasn't exactly sure how far away I was. And then, as you know, as I rounded the corner, I could I could hear Steve King announcing. I could see the finish line, and I knew that I had to get there under seven hours and four minutes. And when I when I could see the finish line, it was six hours fifty eight. Uh, so then it became uh, your point of 
if I if I run this last bit really fast, I could maybe dip under seven hours. So that that became the goal. I knew I knew I had the the victory as long as nothing went wrong. So I I didn't want to run that fast that I cramped up and couldn't cross the finish line. Uh, but I wanted to try and dip under seven hours. So we gave it a little bit of a go for the final 400 meters or so, uh, and dipped under the line in 659.33 for the double marathon. Nice. Uh, so that was yeah, and, and it was. Yeah, that moment of crossing the finish line and knowing that I'd won was just incredible because it's 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 not just that day. It's that it's about the fact that you've pretty much sacrificed the whole year. It's a whole year's worth of planning, of training. Uh, yeah, there were no other events that I did this year that were important to me. Uh, so er, the, the entire year has been built around this one day, and it comes down to five minutes. So it's a combination of you feel triumphant, but you feel re- relief. Um, yeah, you know, and you feel grateful that that nothing's gone wrong, and you know, it's a very emotional time because not only me that that has invested time and energy myself, it's everyone around me as well mm. uh, that is that has invested in me, that spent time with me, uh, and that has helped me to get to that point. So it's it's an incredible feeling, and and the the fact that Jeremy challenged me so hard right up to the end, you know, really made that even more special because you know, I really had to work hard to get that uh and it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy victory by any means it was it was extremely difficult which made that satisfaction even sweeter so what's what's the plan now you're going to be back yeah 2018 I'll be back. <laughs> he's uh, got the bug yeah it's uh, for sure and it's going to be super exciting because in yankee de la para who won last year he was actually crewing for jeremy this year and he'll be back to defend his 2016 title, and Jeremy will be crewing for him oh, well. uh, in 2018. So we, we get a bit of a rematch there. And then there's there's some other good guys that might turn up. Uh, so David Hainish, who won Ultraman Florida, uh, you, you know, have it on good authority that he may turn up in, in 2018. He's a really good cyclist. He didn't do Ultraman world champs this year because he was focusing on a, a world hour record attempt on the on the bike so he's a he's got a track cycling background and it, it's really good having an, an uber biker like that show up and you really focus it helps focus my motivation for the whole year knowing that there's going to be a bunch of really good people turning up again excellent oh fantastic result yeah. and if um awesome. if people want to sort of follow you or find out more about you um what's your website and any other sort of platforms that you, you post on Yes, yeah, so robgray.org, that's my website. They can find all the ways to contact me through that as well as my uh, my social handles. I'm Rob Gray on Twitter if anyone uses that anymore. Uh, <laughs> on Instagram, I'm, I'm a robocoach on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I'm not cool enough to use Snapchat. So probably, probably <laughs> Instagram, uh, Facebook, they can get me. Uh, yeah, they can get a link to that through my website too. Fantastic. Oh, awesome achievement. Yeah, it's um, amazing, world man. champion and uh, come back and improve so much on your previous years. Fantastic. So well done. Yeah, love your work, mate. Good work. Yeah, thanks, guys, and thanks so much for having me. It's a real good example of sticking to a plan and trusting it, isn't it? Oh, I'd be nerve-wracking going through that run. Yeah, far out, yeah. Especially when conditions would be changing so much. So, you know, you talked about Rob, about the times that he was sort of thought people would go, but with that tailwind, clearly that changed things, and that just throws things throws things out the window a bit. Yeah, far out, yeah. It, it just, uh, it, he was obviously a very experienced athlete, a very wise athlete. It's still a hard thing to do, to mm. trust your plan, isn't it? Especially when you're, you know, he only won by five minutes. So, yeah. you know, especially when it's... 
that close. It's a funny race as well, isn't it? Because you know what you need to do to get there. Yeah. You know, it's a different kind. Most races, it's me against you, and if I'm in front of you, I'm winning. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this race, because of the nature of the kind of organisation of the race, it does mean that, you know, you have this situation where the guy who you're trying to beat to actually finish in front of you, yeah. and you've got it, it's almost you're racing the clock to the last part of the race. But mm-hmm. just a really good example of how to race a smart race. So well done. John, let's do sponsor. Sponsor. This would be a good Christmas present to give to a triathlete. If you're struggling to think of what you can get for a triathlon friend or a triathlon partner or a suggestion you might give to a family member on what they could give to you, maybe like a recurring delivery of extreme endurance for nice. know, a few months or or just a bit of a selection of products on there. So if you're a regular you know, extreme endurance user, maybe you could say, hey, why don't you get me a bag of that Fuel 5 Plus to give a try or something like that or a bit of the old immune boost to sort of help you through and making sure you don't get too sick in the vault. They've got new fancy packaging for the immune boost now. It used to come in the little bottle. Now they've got them in the, uh, the sort of Ziploc bags there. So... Great time to get some triathletes, sometimes hard to, to purchase for, but um, some of these products would be well worth a try, or even like a, a bag of the protein shake. So, you know, you're always going to go through that stuff. So Christmas is coming. Use this and make sure you use your promo code. Get the promo discount. Uh, I am talk 20 gets you 20% off. Um, if you go through the .com or any of the, the Euro websites, .co.uk, so 20% off with the promo code I am talk. We love their products. You go faster with the extreme endurance, you know, reduces your muscle soreness um, and gets you to bounce back from training and all their other products we love as well. So good Christmas presents. Okay guys, check it out, xendurance.com and remember the discount code IAMTALK gets you 20% off. IAMTALK20. IAMTALK20 gets you 20% off. That's why there's 20s there, John. Wanger of the week. I want some music, Ben. We haven't had any music on the show. Okay, here's music. Of the week. <laughs> okay, John. So this week, what's your number? Pick up a number. Number six. Number six. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm going to say it's most runtime. It is. Oh, Jim Plunkett Cole. Oh, what a surprise. He's fading. Oh, is he? He's fading. He's only third this week, John. Oh, no. Because I'm on Pippi Grass. Oh, my goodness. How do you pronounce that name? Well you, done. You reckon Pippi Grass? Uh, Pip Grass? Pipe Grass. Okay, let's, Pipe let's, grass? let's do the apple. Let's have a look. Apple, apple. Oh, come on, apple. Uh, okay. Peep grass. Peep grass. 11 hours, 25 minutes, and 27 seconds. Impressive. Greg Scopel was second with 10 hours and 21 on two runs. That's that's a lot of running in two runs. It is a lot of running. And old Jim Plunkett Cole still 
trudging along through America doing this Forrest Gump thing. Five runs for nine hours, 49. Nadine Voice took it out in six hours, 29 females. And I blame Nadine Voice for the calamity that happened in, I mean, Western Australia. I think disaster Why is it her follows fault? her. Well, disaster follows her. She sure, did, that's the tag she likes she, in her life. Flower, good old Flower Power yep. was over there racing, so she's from Christchurch. And she did I Man Texas that year when it all got, um, no, yeah, when right. it all got, poor, the race got paused. And I bet she was probably at Ironman New Zealand a couple of times when they had the, the race was sort of blown off or turned into a, yeah. a 70.3. So maybe we should change the nickname from Plow Power to the Disaster Artist. Okay. Yep. You like that? <laughs> yeah. So Dean was first place with six hours and 29 minutes. Uh, Jenna Carr. Seyfried was second with three hours and 40 minutes. And Kim Anderson Hadley was third with three hours and one minutes. And Kim actually did New York recently and smashed it. So what well on Kim. Nice. So if you want to get on this, um, you make, need to be on Strava and you need to make sure your profile is public and then join up to the I Am Talk group and all your stuff will get populated onto our page, which is traintrends.com slash Strava slash I Am Talk. They basically pull all the data from Strava, but you need to be on Strava. You need to have your profile as public, and which why wouldn't you if you're on Strava? That's the whole idea, isn't it? Yeah. And then the third criteria is you need to join up to the I Am Talk group. That's right. If, uh, nowadays, if, if you have, it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Exactly. You know? I've had a few comments this week where I've been using my watch for like the junior program, oh. um, and because it goes out there for like doing 100 meters when I've been yeah, out mate. there for 45 minutes, a few people commenting, "Hey, that was a good session." Yeah, mate, you're smashing it. Smashing it. it. That running's that, that sub 16 5k is really going well. Really well. <laughs> okay, ready? Three, two, one. Questions and answers. Dear John and Bevan, enormous thank you for endorsing movement and active active recovery. And this is from good old Jenny Robinson, and she's just basically talking through your questions answered. If and if listeners have extra question, please post them as comments on the webpage so basically we were talking about the ice debate movement and injury not ice and so the first one we said is i think you asked this one should injured athletes self-diagnose and treat themselves mm. the answer is maybe uh, if in doubt consult obviously also consult if there is instability giving way major weakness to walk or pain to hop even with these symptoms range of motion and alternate exercises are safe and encouraged it's sensible if, if sensible about it athletes can judge themselves whether they have recovered sufficient strength and agility for the demands of the training session that day be a re realistic in weighing the risk of harm against benefit of participation. Chrissy Wellington chose to race 2011 Hawaii Ironman despite her pectoral strain, whereas Javier Gomez sensibly missed Rio 2016 due to an elbow fracture. So, I, I will say just on that, because it's a bit of a Javier Gomez thing, so we had a guy, Sam Elstob from Christchurch, and he broke his um, arm or something, or collarbone or something like that, before I'm in Western Australia, yeah, I don't think he'd been able to swim all the way up to the race. He'd been doing lots of training work and things like that. Swim gets cancelled. Oh, perfect <laughs> benefits. Oh, was anyone more happy to see that shark? And he qualified for Kona. Oh, loving it. Okay, just the question around the heat. So, should we apply heat? And she's got no. It's not necessary, and may worsen the swelling and bruising. That's really interesting. I didn't, you know, because this whole heat ice thing. Mm. So it's actually just stay away from either. And it is funny, the icing thing is going to take a long time for people to get because I've had two athletes in the last week who have said, yeah, I did this, I you know, rolled my ankle a little bit and they're seeing their comments on um, training peaks that uh, went home, put a bit of ice on it and uh, yeah. <laughs> it does feel better, 
but maybe you're not doing the right thing. It's going to take a long time. And they've listened to the show and they know, but... Well, they know that you're mad at them right now. That's what they're hearing. I'm not mad. Yes, you are. I'm just, just disappointed. Point, pointing out that we have discussed it. And uh, Have you pulled out that one for your kids? I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Oh, yeah, that comes out daily. Well, I remember Tyler. I, I, I said it so much. Tyler goes, Dad, I know. You're disappointed. <laughs> the third one that I said as well is uh, I've got to get my first aid ticket updated. Same. <laughs> you don't want to be that uh, know-it-all on the corner going, when they're telling you to do rice, going, well, not so sure about that. Yep. So uh, I think we've just got to all be a bit political about that and just sort of, yeah, maybe just suck it up and let them but, make the mistakes. But Jenny also did say, ask how to identify and manage serious injuries or fractures. Because if you have got a fracture, then obviously you're, yeah. you're not going to go and uh, do active training on it straight away. Spinal cord injuries, major bleeds or medical uh, emergencies. No need to argue against the rest with these injuries. Learn that deformity is not the only sign of a fracture, but other signs include inability to walk or um, reluctance to use the limb, a gritty feeling uh, and point tenderness. Recognise high force trauma such as high velocity vehicle accidents and falls from a height. These need extra caution from the first aider, so learn how to immobilise safely in these situations. When doing first aid for lower force injuries, simply encourage movement of the toes, fingers and joints, then assist the person to sit Finally, support the person to stand, to take a few steps, and to eva- um, evaluate. Your presence and support will be more comforting than abandoning to search for ice. So, yeah, so you've got to kind of, we don't, yeah, we move. I think overall with the, the whole icing thing is we want to be encouraging movement, but not if it's a breakage or no, something. Yeah, really we serious. really need to define the difference. Um, so just in summary, if in doubt, consult. Trust the body to respond appropriately with our without ice or heat uh, after high force trauma treat with extra caution after low force trauma simply offer support as the person regains composure and starts moving it is interesting john because you know you and i and many listeners of the show are long-term athletes and like i pulled my hamstring leading to the queenstown race and i and i it's an injury i've had many times and i didn't get any support i kind of and i didn't i did actually use heat so mm-hmm. i'll learn from that um but i just did my loading i just kind of did strength work and, and luckily it held up on race day so there is i did self-diagnose but it is it's kind of because i've had this injury so much in the past i knew how to deal with it but you keep moving as well that's a key for you so if, if you weren't in the gym industry i'd be saying get on your bloody bike and yeah. start start riding and uh but you and it was really interesting my injury injury actually because running i, I basically didn't run for three weeks and even the two 30 minute runs i did days leading up to the race i could feel the injury but mm. i teach a body attack class which is high impact high jumping explosive plyometric kind of movement mm. hamstring didn't play up at all so it's funny how injuries are sometimes a bit odd mm. but anyway it's probably just because i didn't have the kick that comes with the hamstring but uh thank you jenny Rob- robinson and as she said in the email um i'll put a link to this change this change my practice.com uh move and injury not rice move yeah that's what she's got there i'll put a link to it in the show notes and then if you want any more questions you can just put them in the comments and she'll look out for you so there you go John patrons Joe Aragon Spragans Nemo Dory Brach and Robert give me more oh that's a gold one John he, um, I think Rob finished first in his age group it was at uh, one of the recent Ironmans it was either Los Cabos or uh, Cozumel I think it was Cozumel so he's off to Kona pretty cool achievement isn't it 
It is. Winning the age group, like, that's a big thing. Mm. You know, like it's not easy to win your age group at a race. It is not. You know, especially the Queensland Half Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, just go to www.imtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious on the front page. And you can gift patronage to other people. Again, another Christmas present. You get your extreme endurance or you can gift somebody patronage. There you go. And they get a nickname. And then they get a nickname for life because it's the thing. It's the nickname last. I'll tell you what, if you gift it... Maybe you can you can help contribute to the the nickname given. Oh, okay. I think if you gift it, okay. If you gift yeah. it, and you might have a partner who doesn't listen to the show, and you want them to do this, just or, have this playing in the background. Or if you know, if got a friend and you know their partner, and they're wondering what to get their their partner for Christmas, you could suggest this to them oh, as well. Nice, yeah. So many ways, oh, gifting. So many options. That's your Christmas present to us as well. There you go. It's, it's just a lot of Christmas spirit right now, John. Okay, John, uh, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. And our patrons. And remember, just go to www.iamtalk.me to become a patron. And lastly, John Bo, if you want to email the show, go to iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, if you go to our website, you can get the show emailed to you weekly just by going into the form on the front page. John, what is your gossip? I am looking forward to going for a little bike ride now. I'm just slowly getting my training back on track. That sub 16 ain't, or that 16 minute 10 5K ain't happening anytime soon. So wait, is that, is that a dead goal now? Um, I'm just deciding what I want to do next year. What, so. what's, what's starting to look appealing? Well, potentially, I'm, I'm tossing up with a, so we're going to have Epic Camp France. I'm actually wearing an Epic Camp yep, France yep, bike jersey today in 2019. And so I'm just deciding whether I want to just go back into cycling. I do love my cycling and it's just. It's so time hungry. Yeah, but you can do the thing with cycling. You can jump on your trainer in the garage and just start pumping it out and it's done and dusted. You can do it when the kids are at home. You don't have to work. Um, so I'm sort of starting to hedge towards that. I was I was quite looking forward to doing a fast run, but that's just not really happening. But I have had my little, I had some feet issues when I saw the old podiatrist, Bruce, Bruce Baxter, the other day. Oh, how's Bruce? And good. And he cut a corn out of the side of my foot, and I'm, and, I'm, uh, and I'm back on track now, I think. I was having these issues. I hadn't changed my shoes. I hadn't changed anything. Yep. And running along, and... It's just like, it's almost like blistering on the side of my foot and I'm sort of getting this build up there and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Bought a new pair of shoes, changed my socks, nothing seems to be working. As it turned out, I probably sort of did it. It was on the comeback from Rote and I think it was probably accumulation of things. These shoes that I was running in, he said, they're the right shoe for you, they're absolutely fine. But then he sort of put his thumb inside and he kind of said, well, there's a little bit of a lip there and I think that had just, I'm quite wide I've got wide yeah, feet like and that kind of little pointy out bit sort of midway down yeah. your foot. I don't know the actual name of it. It's called the pointy out bit. Yeah, that was sort of wearing and I was getting a build up there and this corner developed there and that was just, it's right on a nerve and it was starting to hurt. Got that cut out and I seemed to be okay. So. John, if you'd done this six weeks ago, I reckon you'd be running sub-16. <laughs> right. Uh, so just looking forward to rebuilding that fitness at the moment and I'm going to decide between here and Christmas what I'm going to do next year. What's appealing as you think about next year, what's the kind of, you go, mm. Well, the problem I've got next year is I haven't got any big events, so it is going to be a case of I need something to, to, to motivate me. So I'm really looking forward to Epic Camp France 2019, but that's a long way off, and I do want to be in shape for that. Are you going to do a race around that? No, I don't think so. Just be I just, Epic Camp What fit. was enjoyable last time was going and riding some famous climbs. So we're going to ride all the way through the Pyrenees and going, okay, I'm going up the Col de Tourmalet, and uh, I want to see how fast I can really ride it. It's, it's, a, it's very difficult to learn how to ride mountains fast and at, at, at your fastest ability. And you, I've got it wrong so many times before. So that last time going up um, 
I know I want to go back to um, not up to S. Um, Mon, oh, bloody hell, Mont Von Two. Oh, I, I, I did the first two thirds of that really well, and then just detonated. And so it's, it's, when you're climbing for an hour to hour and a half, it's really hard to get it right. So that's my motivation. Um, but I've just got to figure out next year. Nice. I nice. may do a fast. I'm thinking about maybe a fast half marathon, but then at the same stage. What would you want to do fast half marathon in? 115? Oh, probably under that. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, shit. But that takes a big build up. And that's the problem with cycling. It takes me a long time to get into shape. So, so yeah. We'll see. Starts today, John. Starts today. Right, right after Fifth this. day of summer. Yeah. Another 30, best 30 summer degree ever. day. Yeah, best summer ever. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Um, Christmas shopping done? Oh, I'm already, Joe just seems to be making it happen. Mm. Joe keeps pulling out the old, let's put a limit on how much we spend on each other. Mm. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, no way, man. We've we got all in. We've got good. all in. So, yep. Uh, no, Christmas shop. We had our staff work do the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the drunken eggs. Good. <laughs> yeah, which was... I had a funny night, John, actually, yeah. because the drunken ex turned up and she was a bit too drunk. So, And suddenly, because I was the ex, I had to look after her. Yeah. So then I ended up dropping her home. And then my other ex, Elise, was riding down the road as I dropped her home. So I ended up spending it with my other ex as well. Your and she said she did your race. She's a triathlete now. Yeah. We'll tell you a story about that after the, after the show. Oh, she, 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 she did pretty well. She did your race. She did. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So uh, she'll be a good athlete. Yeah. She's an ex. She can swim and she can bike. Yeah. And running. She's done a 130 and a half before. Yeah. So, she, you know, she can run. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, that was a very interesting night for me, John. Good. And I came home to my wife. Good. I was like, yep. So, it was a good night. Um, no, John, there's not a lot of gossip, really. There's not a lot of gossip. I have to say... I am looking forward to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Are you looking forward to Christmas? It's going to be good. When you go to Criteria. We've got the Christmas Cracker Triathlon. Me and Tommy are staying back down here in Christchurch to organise that. So if you're in the Christchurch area on the 17th of December, very low so key. You, so you're looking for helpers? Yes. So people, if you're a triathlete out there and you're not racing in events, just once a season, put your hand up to help Marshall. That's just right. once a season. If everybody has that once a season. I, won, I once marshaled for you. Great. I got on that, remember on the motorbike? Yes. That GN 250? Yeah, yeah. What have happened to that? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, my scooter? Was it my scooter? No, I had, a, I had an old, I think it was a Suzuki GN oh, 250. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no. I got a motorcycle license because yeah. I'm a rebel at heart. And, uh, yep, and I, I had to give a drafting penalty too. Nice. Yeah, when they're going over towards, because they went out to Peru and back, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, going around the first bit, so you go around past Eddington Pub, and yeah. the next, someone was drafting pretty badly, pulled up. Penalty, mate. God. No drafting when I'm on the bloody motorbike. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, just once a season, put your hand up to, to help out an event. How many do you need? I've probably just about got... The thing is, with the races all I organise, so for example, for this race, little sprint race, I'm going to need about 25 marshals. Yep. And I get about um, 15 to 20 of them are pay volunteer groups to come and do that. Yep. They're fine. They're standing on a corner. They're pointing people in the right direction. But you need a, you know, a handful in the key positions in terms of things like bike, mount, dismount, <clears throat> yep. and just where they've actually got a clue what's going on. And um, so I only need a, a handful, you know, six or eight or something like that. Okay. Well, if someone wants to come to Christchurch on the 17th, mm. if you're in America, Christchurch is amazing. We're having the best summer ever. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it'll be great weather. Yeah. And you get to be a marshal at John's race. There well, I'll tell you what, we were rambling a bit today, but we're oh. just about to wrap it up. So we've had another listener move to Christchurch based on our recommendations, moved from the UK, uh, Simon Murray. That's a big call for, for our recommendation. And he lives up the hill from you. Oh, we're neighbours. 
So he, uh, we, we, he emailed us a few years ago and he said, should I do Taupo or Wanaka? And we both said, Wanaka. Yep. Beautiful race. Yeah. Beautiful. And, I, I was working there. Tourist destination and a great place to go and do a race. So we said, go and do Challenge Wanaka. Did it, fell in love with the country, he's moved over here, lives up the hill from you. <laughs> we, we, John, we are pretty big influences in people's lives mm. because we've created a marriage. Yes. Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. We've had people move around the world for us. Yancey Arrington's moved here. He moved to Christchurch, listened to his show, and he's had a baby the other day. See, we've created kids. Yes. We are the reason he had a kid. Yeah. Hopefully it's named John Bev. And we helped with an Ironman victory with Pete Jacobs. Pete uh, Jacobs, running. we create champions. What yes. don't we do, John? What don't we do? We don't what? run 16, 18, 5Ks. That's what I was going to say. But some of our listeners do. Many do, many do, but many still admire our speech, John. We've still got it just a little bit. So we're going to have a show the next two weeks. The last show will be on the 19th, and I'll, I'll be basically doing the show that day and then driving to Kaiteri that afternoon. Oh. There's a commitment for you, and then we have a couple of weeks break. We'll do the old best of the year. Best of. I might use them my Bevan James. I always had a couple of good interviews mm-hmm. this year, so I'll put them on. You know, there we go. Let's wrap it up, John. Iron Russ. Iron Man, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.